Welcome to the Tech of Business show. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky. And on this show, we are exposing the technology that runs growing and thriving businesses today. From smart and innovative to nuts and bolts, there is no tech stone unturned. Now it's time to talk tech and let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Tech of Business podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky, and today I've got another podcaster on the mic with me. She's Amanda Thebe and hosts the Fit and Chips Chats, which is a weekly podcast for all women over 40, and it's all around menopause. So what does a menopause-focused fitness professional have to share with the tech of business community? You might be asking yourself that question. The answer is a lot. I cannot wait for you to listen in on our conversation. We're talking about how Amanda ran the beta version of her six-month course, and social media for business awareness and growth. Amanda is extremely insightful. Now, before we jump into the episode with Amanda, I want to remind you that I'm here to help you put that tech roadblock that is standing in your way behind you so you can move forward with serving your customers and audience. Head on over to techofbusiness.com forward slash work with me to book a tech breakthrough session today. Now, let's chat with Amanda. Amanda, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me on the Tech of Business podcast today. Thank you for having me on the show, Jamie. This is going to be so much fun. Amanda is also a podcaster and her podcast is Fit and Chips. So yes, fit meaning fitness. Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? And then we're going to get into the technology that you have decided to bring into your business. My podcast, yeah, it's Fit and Chips Chats. And what I do is I bring on a guest. I try and do a guest either every week or every other week. And we dig deep and dirty into all aspects surrounding menopause. So perimenopause to postmenopause. The, my typical listeners to the show are women over 35 and beyond and a big slew of male trainers also listening because that tends to be their clientele. And I bring guests on that I feel like can add value so that at least when somebody listens to the show at the end of the 30 minutes, they go, okay, I've got one takeaway I can do and I'm going to try and incorporate into that into my life if I think it's like necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the same thing with this podcast. If everyone who's listening takes one nugget from this conversation, whether it's what Amanda is doing in her business, what Amanda chose not to do in her business, it doesn't really matter what it is. But if you can take one nugget away from a podcast, that is a podcast to come back to and come back to and come back to. And in the fitness space, things are changing all the time, but the fundamentals are still very much the same and the old school. And it's a fascinating industry to kind of delve into what can you actually say on a podcast? I'm thinking to myself, wow, there could be, you could go so many different directions. And I love the fact that you focus the podcast on women who are in and around my age. <laughs> it's pretty interesting because I never thought that this is what I would be doing, you know? And so like, that's interesting that I am doing a podcast all about menopause. And I almost feel like the word menopause should have a little emoji of somebody rolling their eyes afterwards, because it's like, oh 
God, how boring. But well, the, well, the first thing I do is try not to make it boring. But the, the other reason that I've started doing it is, well, one, because I experienced it myself. But two, I realized that every woman that I was speaking to had some aspect of it happening to her life. And there was there's very little information that's readily available. I mean, the information is there and I'm digging deep to find it, but a lot of it's research papers or very clinical books about it. I don't feel like there's anybody out there just talking like we are now just chatting about things and keeping it real and, and sort of making people feel as though they're going through this with me rather than alone because it's a very lonely time for women and so that's why I started doing it it's sort of just evolved and my niche sort of evolved as well but the tighter I've got with this focus of women in menopause then the it's opened so much more scope for me and so many more doors if that, if that makes sense <laughs> mm-hmm. it does it absolutely does and so Other than the podcast, how do you connect with your audience and with your clients? And are you doing um, other online elements to your business or where, where else are we going? So again, that sort of evolved rather than being me doing something very specific because I relocated my home about nine, 10 months ago. I moved from um, Canada. I moved from Toronto, Canada down to Houston. It was a big change. And part of that big change was, um, I'm a mom and I have two kids and my husband changed his job. So there was a lot of change happening. So I actually pulled back a little bit from what I was doing just to focus on my family, which was the right thing to do. But when I was in Toronto, I was client facing. So I had many personal training clients and group training. I think at the, at the end, I had like 60, 70 clients. So it was, I for a single person that was I was doing really quite well and then I had to give all that up to come down to Texas but it didn't feel like I was giving it up it just felt like this was the next step for me and so what I did is I wrote a program and it's actually focused around menopause it's called menopause hacks and I ran a beta or beta tomatoes tomatoes you know (laughs) um, program and this year it's a six-month program and I had 12 people run through that and it went very well I'm sort of looking to sort of refine that a little bit because the whole point of me doing this beta program was to just see where I can either streamline or make my deliverables better or my communication skills better um and so I do an online coaching program and then in addition to that I'm literally I've I spread myself all over social media and that was one of the big things that started my business growing was social media but I don't feel like it is anymore I I don't know what you think about that Jamie but like so Instagram I think I've been on there four years now. I have 18,000 something followers. I grew from two or 300 to about 15,000 in a year, a year and a half, very easily. And it slowed down. It slowed down completely. In fact, I sometimes lose people now from, from doing nothing different. And I know it's the way the algorithms are. I know it's the way that they're displaying my feed. And it's the same with other entrepreneurs that I speak to. So what was primarily like a a sense of um, awareness for people and what brought my profile higher um, is now become something I don't even want to do anymore. It's so frustrating. (laughs) Have you like experienced that or... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just realizing that I have been on 
Facebook as a personal profile, probably for, I mean, it's been over a decade easily because I remember it was before my now nine-year-old was born. And I believe it was just after my 12-year-old was, you know, was born. So I feel like it was like somewhere between 10 and 11 years ago. And at that point, I feel like I had connection with a lot of people, you know, people from college, people from work, people from the parenting community, all of these people in all these places. And just as all social media ebbs and flows, I'll put some stuff out and sometimes I'll get 50 hits on it, you know, 50 comments. Other times I'll put things out and I'll get nothing. And it's not that it's not me. It's just that the algorithms are looking for certain things at certain times of day. And I think that there's a lot of value in understanding that the algorithms are there. Um, the, the algorithms are really there to create the end user experience and they don't really care about who the provider is as long as it's creating the right experience for the end user. Or if you pay for it, because I think that's the ultimate thing. That's why, <laughs> that, that's why it's changed because they want you to, if you're going to run a business through them, I think they want the, the revenue, they want the revenue, the, they want you to pay for your ads. And, and I get that, but it's just, it feels, it just feels so frustrating. Um, I also don't want to put the effort in as much anymore because of that. Facebook, I find a little bit less frustrating. I feel like I still get traction with Facebook, but then the um, the introduction of groups and private groups and the fact that people can add you willy-nilly is just overwhelming. I mean, I personally have all my notifications off. I don't have any single notifications on Facebook and I just check it occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have private groups. Like I have for the menopausing group, especially, it's, I want a place that feels safe for women to come and talk um, right. and openly discuss symptoms that maybe sometimes like TMI or for them, it might just be um, just, no, they're just nervous and they don't, they're not used to sharing. So they need a safe environment. So I, I have, it's new about five month olds and there's 900 people, 900 women in there. And, um, and I know that's something that I do regularly go in and, and check on. Mm -hmm. But I often wonder, are, are they turning off the notifications on that? Because purely because um, there's so many groups out there, it's like, where do you draw the line? Like with giving your um, clients like information and connection when they're feeling like their day's busy enough without 20 groups sending them texts and, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really important piece is where do you draw the boundaries? Where do you create the culture that you want with the online presence? You know, if it is okay, every morning there is going to be a new post in the Facebook group, come or go, it doesn't really matter. If that's the expectation, then it's great. But if it is something that you've got hired a community manager and they're answering every single person's question all day long, then that's a different expectation. And that could get uh, a little overwhelming for people at times. So I definitely think that there are a whole lot of ways we can go with social media that can work for yourself, for your business, for your clients, for where you're meeting people, where they're at um, along their journey. So it, it's, it's fascinating to hear different um, group owners 
talk about how they manage their group differently. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the small, I have a, a business page and really I just share my articles and, um, and different posts on there. Um, and that's grown organically. I think that's got like 5,000 and I'm happy with that because it has grown organically. There's been no pressure, no sponsored ads or anything. So they're people who genuinely want to follow me. And then in the group, I do actually do have high engagement because it really is a community it's almost like a, a community um forum that used to have the online forums where women are asking each other questions and i do make it a priority of mine to try and be active in there like i do want them to feel as though i'm part of that group i don't just want to create a group and walk away so i do answer questions i do take the time but i literally put a t- aside 30 minutes at the end of the day to do it Mm-hmm. I, I, and I think that that's, that's a valuable use of my time. People have that connection um, and they see that I'm so present, you know. Right. And again, that's setting expectation. And as business owners, we have to both set expectations for ourselves and set expectations for our audience. If people know that they can post all day long and that Amanda's going to come in and she's going to actually read it at the end of the day, they're going to be more inclined to post. If they don't have the structure for, okay, Amanda, when is she going to actually come and look at this? They may not be as willing to get engaged in the community because they might find something else that has more structure or more expectation or more understanding of expectations. So I really, really like that, uh, that you've kind of set that time aside. Um, When we were first talking about your kind of your beta program and things like that. I kind of wanted to go back to that as far as the the tech decisions and, you know, is that an in-person program? Is that an online program? Where did you go with that? And where, how did that all come to be? Yeah, like I went round and round in circles wondering about the deliverables because um, as we spoke about of air i do have a somewhat of a techie background working for ibm as a business analyst for them for quite a number of years and then having a graphic design background as well like so i have good like good design um vision i was like it has to look good that was the first thing it just has to look really good (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm all about like my branding and keeping everything looking you know like amanda delivered it so but it was how do i deliver this program to someone And it was interesting because um, I already had the program basically written. I'd worked with somebody as a mentor um, who is an expert in the field. And I wrote the program, but I ran it like by her. And I came up with this solid program that I was very happy with. And then I just had to find a way of delivering it, knowing that people were going to get these deliverable lessons every two weeks. It was a 12-lesson program over 24 weeks six months um, and I had to find a way to deliver it to them and then allow them to be able to discuss the information because mm-hmm. I needed it to generate change and we needed to have that conversation in order to generate the change and um, I simplified it and simplified it as the program went on because I realized that my audience was dictating how I needed to deliver the program I wasn't delivering it to some 18 to 30 year old like savvy tech people who wanted an app 
maybe they, my clients did want an app, but it wasn't the feedback that I got. The feedback that I got was, yeah, we can cope with having two emails a week from you and we can go into the group twice a week, three times a week but that's as much as I want to do. It's mm -hmm. like, it, it, that was all they could cope with. So bearing in mind, my clients are over 40 women that tend to be um, going through lots of changes of life as well as like the menopause as well. But they you know, there's transitions that happen. You know, the kids leave school or they may be new moms or they've got aging parents or they might be like career women that have got like two seconds a day to focus on things or they may be stay-at-home moms that are juggling the shit out of the day. You know, like they basically didn't want another thing to do, but they needed help. And so I had to just simplify it all. And so how it ended up being was they got deliverable PDFs mm -hmm. every, every two weeks via email. And then we had a closed, like a secret Facebook group where we discussed everything. And then at the end of the program, they, it basically was a book, a book of the whole program that it was called, it's called menopause hacks. They got a menopause hacks book of every single deliverable that they got. And so that, that was the six month program. And um, yeah, like it worked and people liked it and I got good feedback, but part of me sits now back and thinks, is this something I could have done differently? that would have delivered this, like more, I could have automated more. Could I have um, not given them all of the information and then done maybe a monthly subscription? So there's always lots of questions I'm left with when I do something. You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to deliver a program, but that's how I ended up doing mine anyway. In a yeah. Very, very yeah. simplistic way. And I love that because that is something that any business owner who has something to share we all have the ability to send an email to our subscribers, to the people who purchase our course. An email delivery of your course is the most basic, simple way of getting it out there. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. Amanda had that working here in 2018. It's not like that was like old school stuff and you have to go on Thinkific and you have to have it all automated and you have to have all of these series of checkpoints. It doesn't have to start complicated. And I love the fact that you highlighted that you chose a method and you used it and you streamlined it and you made it, you brought it down to the place where it was actually actually going to be usable by the purchasers, by the users. And that is absolutely the most important piece of this whole puzzle is to create something that someone actually wants to use. Yeah, I mean, so I reached out to my clients afterwards because I got them to do a questionnaire, which any good business owner should just to get that feedback. And I said to them, you know, would you have preferred this in an app that you, you know, you got a notification from? And they were like, oh, hell no. Like, we don't want it. <laughs> we don't want another thing on our phone. Some of them didn't have a phone. They chose not to, you know. And so the way I, the reason I did the, and, and delivered the program via email and rather than Facebook is because I know they have to make a choice when it lands in their inbox. They either choose to read it or they don't. If it's on Facebook, they may miss it. And right. I just, and that was really the, the, the decision I made. It just made it so much simpler. They have it in their inbox. They can never say they never got it because I know they did. Right. 
Yeah. And did you uh, use some kind of automation to send those emails or were those just broadcast emails to the segmented group of people who were participants and you went in each every two weeks uh, to get those set up and squared away? And so there's no automation in there or did you do some level? No, there was no automation. What I did is I had um, for every, it was all just ready to draw like drag and drop like I had scripted I had everything scripted like it was very organized in in that respect so you know I um, I knew the deliverables needed to go out I had a scripted email that went with the lesson plan and that just got sent out so no that bit wasn't um, automated at all but it literally took me two minutes to do it was a very controlled small number of people in the group and I know that um as I go to relaunch it because I will be relaunching in October that I'm looking to streamline that even more nice so, so I'm not saying that that was the perfect way but it worked for me and it was fine it was my, my main focus for this first six months was content related and now it's got now I'm looking at deliverables you know like how I deliver it I just wanted to make sure the content worked for them and it did so now I need to, like, I, I'm looking at a way to maybe expanding how I, like, deliver it to them and even the, um, like, the follow, my follow-up as well, like, it, like continuing education as well because there's clearly a, a, always a, a, you always want retention. Just so happened I did get a good retention for this one moving forward for the next one, which is good for me, but it's just, they sh I, I, like, that's where I know I need to focus my energy next time. Totally, totally. I love that. And I feel like this is something that was definitely needed on the podcast at this point was to really kind of take it to the point of understanding where your audience is at. I feel like that's the premise of everything that we've talked about. We're meeting people where they're at, delivering to them what we are an expert at in a way that they can actually use it. And I, I just love, love, love that approach because you can always refine it later and you can always augment it later. And you're going to have people who go through rounds two, three, and four down the road who are going to be maybe a little bit more tech savvy. Maybe they're going to be a little bit more adapt and wanting to have updates on their phones and things like that. And you'll be able to do small iterations because your content is king and your content is going to stand the test of time. Exactly as well. And, and so I view my program as being evergreen as well, like not just content wise, but just like I say in the deliverables, I can, I, I I've started a snowball and it's going to keep growing. That's the way I look at this. Um, and I have worked with business coaches that I, you know, sometimes I've loved them. Some, some, sometimes I haven't loved the direction they're going in. You've got to work to, to the point where you feel comfortable in your authenticity. Like, so if you want to make a lot of money, like I'm so tired of these get rich quick schemes and like make this much money so quickly. I have no time for that. Like I, mm. I want to rise above that noise. I always have anyway, I wanted to rise above the noise, but it's specifically there. It leaves me feeling very jaded with the fitness industry. My, my view is if you want good clients that stay with you, you have to build a connection and that's where the Facebook social media thing comes in. And then you've got to be prepared to do the work and you've got to deliver good quality content. It can't be waffle or crap that you can just pull from other places 
like make it specific to your audience and make it like real value for them. They've invested money in you and they're going to tell their friends hopefully. So, you know, make it, make that, you know, worth its while and then listen to their feedback. And like I say, I, my feedback was that, yep, yeah, I'm going to keep this evergreen because I'm always researching this field of mine. And so I'm always finding new information. So it's finding a way to weave that into the content I deliver while still maintaining a good business model. Right. Yeah. I, I just think that there's so much power in taking in going into your zone of genius. And I've talked about this on the podcast before your zone of genius is understanding these women and helping them make the progress that they are looking to make when they're in that menopause or perimenopause state. And so you just want to spend the time there. You don't need to do everything around that to bring in 300,000 people when you can't get make the same impact on 300,000 people that you could make on 20 people. And you're going to be much more filled from your, your heart and your soul and your business goals by serving 20 people fully than going after that big, huge, colossal number that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, you were talking prior to this about your previous podcast about the dirty side of fitness and that, like, <laughs> and your passion bucket. And, and that's part of the puzzle that you've just spoke about. I mean, if I then like overextend myself and reach out to too many people, chances are I can make a crap ton more money than I'm making, but I won't be fulfilled. And I've got to the stage in my life now where everything I do has to have meaning. I don't have time for the fluff. I want to just do my job well and really help people and make an impact, right? I'm not, you're never going to see me like flaunting my abs out and, and showing you like the latest protein powders and blah, de, blah, de, blah, because it's so fake. It drives me crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe I will like wear a little crop top now and again, but I mean, my focus is on like, I want to keep things real. I want to talk about my challenges and talk about my successes and see if people relate to them, which they do because I, I listen to the feedback and then give them solution-based programs that help them be the best they can be. And that fills my passion bucket, yes. like you said. And it's so important to make that my focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Amanda, this has just been so much fun to talk about because we have gone down away from the technology into the core reason for running your business, which I absolutely love. I want people to be able to find out more about you, more about your podcast and about this program and everything else. So can you share with the audience where they can connect with you best? So you can find me on my website at Fit and Chips. That's F-I-T for Fit N, the letter N, then Chips, Fit and Chips. And that's also my Instagram, Facebook handle. Everything's Fit and Chips. <laughs> I'm Fit and Chips everywhere. And um, yeah, and if anybody um, wants to speak to me about menopause, you can find lots of information and articles and stuff on my website. Um, with regard to what you said about like we sort of moved away from the techie side, it's pretty interesting because we both have techie backgrounds. Like I said, I work for IBM and it's interesting because I actually see myself probably moving more towards developing something more for my business as it expands over time. I just don't know what that is yet. 
I've looked at lots of different things and lots of different ideas moving forward, but I, none of them have really felt good in my gut. And I think that that's part of it, right? You've got to just really want to have a passion about it and you've got to really want to know what that is for you and will it serve your audience? Totally. Absolutely. And it's a really good, it's a really good lesson for all of us to not just jump at that next shiny object and say, oh, I have to do this because it's come across my Facebook feed or I have to do this because so-and-so down the street is doing that. Keep your eyes in your own lane, focus on your clients, creating the best content for them and giving them the results that is going to make them share you with their, uh, their friends and their associates and everything else. I love that. And I know you are going to find something that is technology based because I can, I can hear the itch. Um, <laughs> And, and then it's going to be like an explosion. It's going to be phenomenal. I like to end every episode of the Tech of Business podcast with a little bit of a curveball kind of question. Oh, bloody hell. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Okay. Yeah. And what I wanted to ask you is if you had to redo that course that you delivered via email and you weren't allowed to use email, what else were you looking at that you might have used instead? I would have sold it as an, an ebook. The product is um, one of those ones I want people to go back over and over again. It's like a lifetime worth of information and it will change as they change as the women go through different stages of their life so I would probably have released it as a book in fact I am actually writing a book based on this I'm actually in deep, knee deep in the draft at the moment but I think I probably would have sold it as a one-off product um probably in the form of an ebook that's how nice. I would have yeah, yeah nice see everybody there you know just because you create something in one way doesn't mean that you can't recreate it again in another way so whether um, yeah as a course you can create repurpose repurpose all the time I would say you know like it's it's really because you you say your message once to someone they don't hear you have to say it like 15 16 17 times and then they hear it so it's okay to keep saying the same things over and over again i love that amanda thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today on the tech of business podcast this has been so much fun Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Tech of Business podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, or wherever you download your favorite shows. You can also check out the show notes and learn more about me at techofbusiness.com. I'll see you next week.